So if you guys could pray for me, that would be wonderful. Um, but I'm going to start by praying. So Jesus, we bless you, and I just thank you for the, the joy and the honor of being able to stand before your bride on your behalf. And, and Lord, you know I was praying that uh, you would speak tonight. And so I thank you for speaking. I thank you that you have a word um, from your heart to the heart of each and every person listening. And I thank you for going between and translating just even words that I don't even say that they need to hear. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 6. So the, the title of this message is The Obedience of Faith. Um, some of the things I have to say will be offensive to some people. <clears throat> some of them won't. But I promise you, if you lean into these things, it'll bring the greatest amount of freedom and joy um, in your walk. And the reason I'm starting in Hebrews chapter 6 um, is just to touch on the elementary teachings. You don't, have to, you don't have to turn here. My main passage will be probably Romans chapter 1 and Psalm 23. But it says... He's kind of laid out like a bunch of things that are foundational of the faith where I'm at in Hebrews 6, verse 1. And he says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So that's the foundation of everything that we preach is repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction about washings um, or baptisms, depending on your translation, and laying on of hands and about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so I just wanted to emphasize that like these are the six foundational things that if you're a Christian, this is how you live. This is what it means. This is what we build our life on, right? And funny enough, most of the church division is caused over these things. Uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether or not you can live righteously, or we're arguing over things that aren't even relevant to the foundation. So we're splitting over things that aren't the foundational issues, whether it's like little doctrinal things. Um, so I just wanted to say that that's the foundation. So I'm going to come to Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to highlight some things. But this is where the phrase comes from, the obedience of faith. Um, and I heard growing up, uh, just in the church, like faith and works were always kind of contrasted as if they were two separate things. Um, and they're not. So anyway, I'm just going to start reading, and I'm going to stop at certain points to highlight certain topics. But he says, Paul which is worth noting right there because he's a new man. He doesn't introduce himself as Saul. He's been washed, right? A bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of, the descendant, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So right there we see that he was descended from a descendant of David. Joseph and Mary were both uh, of that line. Um, declared son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So a lot of people, 
we'll talk about resurrection power. But it's according to the spirit of holiness. Um, and it, that was just something that, that stuck out to me. He was declared the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So he's according to this fleshly descent, but spiritually we understand that he's the son of God. Right? So it was the power of holy living. It was the power that was in him to resist sin and the flesh and the devil that caused him to, be, to rise from the dead. And so as a Christian, what it means to be born again is to be a partaker of that same spirit. Right? Foundational thing. Repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. And that's how Christ lived, that picture of faith. So um, faith is actually a directional thing. Uh, we were singing it. The worship was really touching my heart. But he was talking about how from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And how God's heart, he speaks his law. He speaks his ordinances. He speaks things into existence from the overflow of his heart. And so when we hear that passage that a lot of people quote that confess with your mouth and believe, or confess with your heart and believe with your, or backwards, believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved, right? The reason for that is because if you're saying it with your mouth, it's supposed to be coming forth out of your heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your heart's new, it's gonna come out of your mouth. But if you just say something, if you just have lip service to a belief and you do not have obedience, you do not have faith. And this is just something that's been encouraging me. This is, a, this is something that's missing from the faith message that a lot of people preach. If you can, you can say you're believing God for good things, and if you do not have obedience to his gospel and to his ordinance, you do not have faith. And I hope you don't get anything, because it'll delude you. Um, anyway, the reason, <laughs> when you begin to get these things, it becomes so cleansing. Right, It's like the, the, the power of that comes into your life. But he said, who is declared the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so as, as we begin to kind of go slowly through this passage, it's like, well, you go back and, and rewind. So camp out on that spirit of holiness thing again. It's like, okay, Jesus lived according to the spirit of holiness. So if it's not holy... <laughs> It's not the spirit of holiness. Pretty simple. By the resurrection from the dead. So it's this power. It was sin and the devil that brought death into the world by deceiving Adam and Eve. Right? And it was the, it was the power of the spirit to resist those things that brought about the resurrection in Christ. Where he, he brought dominion over death. He's our Lord. So we live according to his ways. And it, it's not even an external thing. It's that the same, if Jesus is your Lord, the things that govern his heart are going to rule and reign in your heart and your mind. It's not that he just manipulates circumstances to like make things happen a certain way. It means that, uh, I loved actually the way Brad put it last week that really resonated with me. He said David was a man after God's own heart. In other words, after the pattern of God's own heart. He was somebody that had been formed in the place of prayer and worship to, to hunger and to desire and to live a life that was after the pattern of God. He was a, he was a form of tabernacle. It said that Moses built the tabernacle according to the pattern of what he saw in heaven. And so David, through his relationship with the Lord, became a man structured internally with a structural kind of integrity that was patterned after God's heart. And this comes through the secret place. This comes through, through uh, 
just spending time with him. And I know I'm just kind of jumping into it. There was not a bunch of a preamble. But, uh, but so through, so he says, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. It says, so Jesus, so according to this spirit of holiness, the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace to produce obedience, the obedience that's of the faith, grace and apostleship. So they've been sent, they're sent ones, they're apostles. They've received grace, which isn't just God covering up your sins. It's power to produce the obedience of the faith. And so that's his purpose among the Gentiles. It's not to get you saved. It's to produce the obedience of the faith. (laughs) So salvation is something that happens as part of that, right? But the purpose is to produce obedience, that you'd become a new creature, a new creation, that you'd be fashioned and formed after the pattern of God's heart as he intended from the beginning, from the foundation of that world, like he, um, like, what, like what he thought of when he thought of you. There was something that he had in mind that's according to the pattern of his heart. And the enemy doesn't want to see that come to pass. And so it's the grace, the power, to actually walk in what you were created for. And then verse 8, so I'm going to kind of skip over some of this part, but verses 8 through 14 are actually just a really beautiful picture of Paul's heart as, as a Christ-like apostle, as somebody who's discipling them, because I'll just highlight a couple things. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And so like the first thing that we see about Paul's heart, especially as Dave's talking about moving into making disciples, uh, just as a community, the first thing we see about Paul's heart towards the Roman a church that's actually divided in, in certain ways um, is he's thankful for them. <laughs> he's thankful to God for their faith. Uh, and that, that's one thing. It's like that I had to, when, as I was going through this and just allowing the Lord um, to search my heart over, over time, was like the people that I think I'm discipling is the first thing I can say about them that I'm thankful for them or do I see them as a burden? So the first thing that we need in this is to, to be thankful that the Lord would entrust us with, with creatures that are fashioned according to his heart. That we would bring about the obedience of the faith in their lives. He says, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. So he's thankful for them. And he calls God as his witness that he makes mention of them in prayer unceasingly. That he continually, like a priest, he has their names written across his heart. And as he abides with the Lord 24-7, he continually makes mention of them in prayer. And so this is an example for us. So the reason this is called the obedience of the faith is because that is the purpose of the faith. But also because in 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 the West, we have an emphasis on learning or understanding. 
And it's good to grow in knowledge, but the thing about it is like our growth in knowledge needs to equate to a growth in obedience. If you have knowledge without obedience, all you have is something that's going to accuse you on judgment day. And that's obedient to his heart. That's love. That's the first command. It's love me as I've loved you. And so that, that's one of the, the takeaways I want to have is like as we go to him, as we read the Bible, are we willing to ask like first off, what does this mean? And then what does this mean for how I live? That's the question we want to ask. So like first off, read it. Okay, how can I say this in a word? How can I break this down so it's simple enough that I could explain it to a two-year-old? Then now, Jesus, how do I need to change my life in response to this passage? And you can do that even with the genealogies. It might take a little more time to sit there, you know, but it's like every passage is breathed by God for our edification and growth and for doctrine and for godliness. Uh, but this is, this is why I want to say, so it's the obedience of the faith. I'm going to keep repeating that phrase, the obedience that is of faith. So he goes on. So, and this is why I started with Hebrews chapter 6, those foundational things, because he talks about repentance from dead works and eternal judgment. That's part of the gospel. Eternal judgment is part of the good news. Everything that was not meant to be is going to be done away with for eternity, and we're going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to stand before him on judgment day, and he's going to say, marry me, right? So, but this is where he goes. So the first thing that Paul preaches is this, as he goes into the explanation of the gospel. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which that's an important phrase. I'm not going to go into it today, but that's one that's repeated throughout the book. For it is the righteous, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. So if you hear a preaching of the gospel that's not a revelation of God's righteousness, it's a false gospel. It's false. In the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God, which is good news. Faith to faith, as it, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, which is as you grow in faith, as you grow in obedience, as you go from faith to faith, you're going to grow in an understanding of God's righteousness, his law, his just ordinances, his government, his heart, his desire for creation, his zeal to restore his bride, to return for a bride that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. In the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God, but the righteous, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith because the wrath of God is revealed. So everybody, in most of the Bibles I've looked at, they put a header right there. They don't want you to connect the dots. <laughs> They're trying to divide these things as if God's righteousness is divided from uh, his wrath, as if his gospel is, has nothing to do with his judgment, as if his law has nothing to do with grace, as if he's, as if he's willing to let you stay in the things that kept you down, and he's not going to pull you up out of the mud and put you on top of the wall. It says, for the wrath, the righteous one will live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So he didn't leave them without a witness. He showed them. And I'm going to touch on actually the life of Abraham a little bit here. I know this is a little bit heavy. And I know this isn't preached very much. Uh, so I just want you to know I'm getting to that. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks. But they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. So there's a couple things I'd like to highlight there. And if there's certain topics that this would touch on that we could be a long discussion um, that I'm not going to touch on right now. But primarily it says that they knew God, but they did not honor him or give thanks. So it's like they didn't acknowledge the worthiness of Jesus. They said, cause the Holy One of Israel to get out of my way. I want to do what I want. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. So they can't perceive because that which they could perceive, they ignored. And then as they got in the habit of ignoring it, it became harder and harder for them to see. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. And then it talks about how because of this, so this is the process that happened in their heart first. Because of this, God said, have it your way. Right? So it wasn't in his heart to do this to anybody But he said, if you're dead set on ignoring me, have it your way. And he says, therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity in the lust of their hearts. He gave them over to degrading passions. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. Um, And just to highlight a couple, it's like a lot of people talk about lust. Like that's one of the primary things that we see on display. But he he talks about a lot of things. Like I, I know a lot of guys that they get victory over like one area and then they think it's okay to go behind somebody's back and talk about them. You know, it's like gossip's not cool. They're gossips, slanderers, full of, so the funny thing, it says full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And then it's not like the next thing he says is like they're genocidal. He says they're gossips. (laughs) Slanderers, right next to murder. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. So that's one of their faults. They don't show mercy. Part of the righteousness of the law of God is show mercy to the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. It's not without mercy. The problem is that people who hate God don't show mercy. They're not willing to have a discussion. They want you to shut up and sit in your little corner and not talk about Jesus. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worth that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same but also approve those who practice them. Uh, hmm. So the, the, the reason I brought this up is because this is the first thing Paul talks about when he preaches the good news. Like, this is good news. Like, all these things are going to be done away with. Jesus promises to redeem you out of these things. And the biggest lie in the church is that you can't live free. It's that he doesn't have the power. It's like, I, this used to drive me nuts. Like, I, I had a pornography addiction. And I would go to pastor after pastor. Like, yeah, we're all going to struggle with lust. 
It's like, great. I'd read enough business books to now know not to listen to somebody that doesn't know how to do what you want to do. So I would just go to the next person, you know? And, and eventually, I figured out the answer. The Lord set me free. I began praying, like all the other stuff. I had all kinds of other crazy thoughts that are, are predominant in the culture today that, again, nobody told me I could be free of. They all told me, we're all men. We're all going to struggle with that. You're born that way. It's the sin nature. And I didn't have enough knowledge to even discuss those things. I just knew Jesus can set me free. If he's Lord, how free is he allowed to make me? And that's the promise of his salvation. That's why it's good news that Jesus hates these things. Because he will destroy them out of your life. And he didn't make you for that. He's going to bring you out. But I wanted to touch on this. Do you think lightly of the riches and kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And so when he shows kindness, when he shows mercy, it's designed to bring us higher up the mountain, higher up into his heart, higher up into the revelation of eternity, higher up. His mercy and his kindness is designed to draw us and bring us somewhere. But I'm going to skip over this because he's kind of like repeating this. Like Paul really wants you to get this. So the next couple of verse, but down to the last thing. If we preach the gospel without the revelation of judgment, it's not the gospel. He says, according to my, for on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Jesus Christ. It's like, oh, we don't want to preach that. People just need to know that God loves them. It's like, yeah, he does. That's why he hates sin. And he's going to judge it. Anybody that wants to set their heart to destroy his creation, to destroy the things that his hands have made, to live outside of the bounds that he set, will not exist in the restoration of all things. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so I'm not, so that, that was uh, just an overview of Romans chapter 1 through 2. But the thing about this that I really want to emphasize is the obedience of the faith. Right? So faith and obedience, the Bible everywhere talks about as if they're the same thing. There's almost nowhere that you can find that it doesn't, within a few paragraphs, come in and clarify. So I'm going to give you one example from Hebrews. Um, and then I'm going to go to the life of Abraham. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of things. Um, and then I'm going to finish with Psalm 23, uh, talking about the results of faith. Hebrews 3, 12 through 19. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be any one of you There will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So he expects you to take care that you do not have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. Um, and so he keeps, he goes on um, on that note, but he says, for who provoked him, or, well, yeah, I'll just read it. Our commitment, firm, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did they not all those who come out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So first off, the writer of Hebrews, I personally believe it's Paul, like it, it's, but it's not for sure. We don't know, right? He says this. 
But the, the funny thing about the way he takes this passage out of the law is he's so confused about the gospel, he thinks that the law applies in the new covenant. Wow, how did that end up in my New Testament? That must not be the right Bible. Oh, <laughs> all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and reproach. First Timothy. And this is what the apostles preached. He seemed to think that if you did not keep your heart and follow God, that the same thing would happen to you in some measure on judgment day. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So disobedient. And so we see that those were not able to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience equals unbelief. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who previously had the good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. That's uh, chapter 4, verse 6. So that's one example of how uh, the scripture equates disobedience and unbelief. If the Romans chapter wasn't enough, right? Because he directly says the obedience of the faith. Because there's an obedience that's not of faith that just gives lip service. It's external. It's like, I'm going to check all these little boxes so that I can get in and do the bare minimum without actually having my heart transformed. This is what the Pharisees did. They cleaned the outside of the cup and not the inside of the cup. They weren't obedient from the heart. And they came to him and gave lip service as if God, who knows the secrets of their hearts, was going to be fooled. Right? So we need a turning of the heart. Now, Abraham, and this is another thing that I'm not necessarily going to go into, but he's the father of our faith. He's the type pattern um, that we walk in, and, and he's a, a wonderful example uh, just of faith and obedience. So I'm jumping back to Genesis chapter 6, <clears throat> and I'm starting in verse 15. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me since I am a childless, since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham also said, since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but the one who comes from your own body shall be your heir. Now, this is just a side tangent, but you read some of the early church fathers, the, ap the apostolic fathers. They, it, it's just, they'll, they'll highlight passages like this as if the word of the Lord was coming to him as a person, as if that's, Jesus fulfilled that, right? It's very interesting, and it, it's just, who, like, when was the last time you talked to somebody and it's like, oh, yeah, the word of Jesse came to me? You know, we don't, it's just like a weird linguistic tick, um, so it's something to think about. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, and he took him outside and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then it says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. As if because of his belief, he was obedient. He, he was righteous as a result of that. And that's kind of what happens. He turns to the Lord. And so a lot of people will like to point, it's like, see how God looked at Abraham's faith. And even though that he stumbled in the next passage, that shows that God just doesn't look at his works. But if you understand that in that time period, it was common for people to marry multiple wives, 
right? You have that background. So Abraham knew in his heart that the Lord had told him that it's gonna come forth from your body. At this point in the passage, the Lord had not revealed to him that it was gonna be from Sarah. And he's going like, okay, I know the Lord is true. Maybe it's not from Sarah. And that's what Sarah told him, right? And so he, he inclined his heart towards him. And then after that, you have the whole episode with Sarai and Hagar. And then, uh, and then in chapter 17, the Lord comes to him and uh, reveals that it's going to be from Sarah. And he still works good stuff out of Hagar. And it actually becomes a really deep parable that Paul pulls on in chapter 5 uh, for various reasons. But my point here is that Abraham's episode with Sarah was in alignment with what was understood about marriage from the culture And it was in alignment with what he understood about God's promise at that time. This was not him compromising in faith. It was not him operating in disobedience. It's more so has to do with the degree of revelation that he had, right? And so, but we go on chapter uh, 22. Let me see here. So he goes, so even though he's already had the promise, he offers Isaac, he puts down the promise on the altar, and this is what God says. So, And this is how we see the faith and the obedience of Abraham. So God tells him, go sacrifice your son. Abraham believes him, immediately does it. He says immediately, but God says indeed in verse 17, chapter 22, I know I'm going through a lot. I have a couple notes up here. Uh, If you want to take a picture, I, I can or whatever. I'm not always strong on that front. But he says, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Faith and obedience. So God seems to think that Abraham was obedient. And then all of our theologians like to stand up on the pulpit and say Abraham was a liar and adulterer. And they call God a liar. says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, it's not that Abraham didn't do certain things, but it was because that heart of obedience that when the Lord told him something, he did it, that the Lord honored him. And there were none like that in a generation. It's why the Lord walked with Abraham. It's why the Lord picked him out. Um, But anyway, the reason this is important is because Abraham is the father of our faith. We're all to be called children of Abraham. That's the promise right there. It says, your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. So whatever that addiction is that you've been told you can't come out of, you're going to possess that gate. Continue to follow him. Whatever the promise is that he's given you in your heart, that you have a vision that you know is from God, you're going to possess that gate. I can show you as a theme through scripture that the reason we face challenges in life is so that the challenges can be defeated and the kingdom of heaven can be established. It's not because God needs to form you. It's because he has an enemy in the earth and that enemy needs its head chopped off. He brings challenges and enemies against his people so that his enemies can be defeated. And if we don't walk in obedience, we're not going to defeat them. Because the power is not going to be there. The spirit of holiness will not back us up. And we won't have the resurrection power. And so the question I want us to begin to ask is, Jesus, whenever I read a Bible passage, my first takeaway is, what do I need to change in my life in light of this truth? Father, what do I need to understand about this passage to see how it applies to me? 
And then a lot of tensions in Scripture seem to get worked out because the way things are preached, we, we tend to have things preached to us that make it on purpose impossible to do so that you're such a worthless wretch. When the whole point is to bring you back to union with him like was intended in the garden, like Jesus modeled so that you can actually be holy as your father is holy. That's the point of the gospel, to remove those things so that you can be holy as your father in heaven is holy. That doesn't mean you're gonna be omnipotent. It doesn't mean you're gonna be all powerful. Uh, It doesn't mean you're gonna be all wise. It means that the wisdom, the power, and the strength that you have, you can use according to love the way our father does. You can use it for the purpose of loving and walking uh, in his footsteps, even as Jesus modeled, but that's what God does. All he has is more love, more light, not more love. He has, a, he has the same motive that he expects to be in us, and he just has more wisdom, power, and knowledge to be able to fulfill that in the earth. That's what makes him a perfect and wise king. And he expects us to have the same motive that the, that the Holy Spirit would be able to pour love out in our hearts the same way it was in his, so that we... Um, and I'll get to that in, in Psalm 23, actually. But I just wanted to touch that. But then, uh, just again, on the whole idea of Abraham as a type pattern that we walk in as our father, there was just this passage, and again, this is just a, a fun thing to think about, but it says, with the whole thing with Abimelech, uh, he takes Abraham's wife because Abraham presented him as his sister. But then he's, uh, God basically comes to Abimelech and says, hey, that's Abraham's wife, don't touch her. And he starts sending all these plagues. And like this dude gets like the short end of the stick, I feel like, when it comes to dealing with uh, (laughs) Abraham's family a lot. But so to to Sarah, he said, look, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is your vindication. So Abimelech gives back his wife. It says, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female slaves so that they gave birth to children. Uh, For the Lord had closed the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And this is something that we see in Abraham's life continually. This is what faith and obedience do. We begin to make intercession for those around us and they're healed. That's what he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he did with Abimelech's house. And, that's, and honestly, when his brother-in-law, who didn't deserve it, got captured out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he went and got him back. And that, that's what, just that type pattern, I thought that was like a good note. It's like faith heals and restores. And that's what obedience to God does but it destroys wickedness because wickedness hurts things. Um, That's our next t-shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, actually, that was like a big deal. Like, when I, because like, as I was coming to the Lord, I was just wrestling with these things. It's like, well, I know you are full of wrath towards sin, and I know you love me, and I know that nothing you do is not love. So if you love me, how does that work? And then I realized that like his love for me was the degree to which he hated sin. If he loves me infinitely, he has to hate sin infinitely because that's how much it's bad. For, like he hates the, the, the most infinitesimal thing that hurts his children, hurts his creation. And so he's going to get rid of it. And all things are going to be made new and he's going to have a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Yeah. That's how you actually uh, get rid of climate change, is you repent. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that's funny. I was like, yeah. But uh, that, I mean, that becomes a longer discussion. But this, this is the meditation that... Uh, 
that I had. Um, and Psalm 23 is just, uh, I've been meditating on it over the last couple of weeks. But this is what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. And it's a beautiful psalm just on face value, but if you just go and you allow these things to sort of saturate, it's like the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. If he, he's a shepherd, he guides me. He, I follow his voice. I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd. I follow him. Jesus, thank you that you're my shepherd. Jesus, I thank you that you provide everything that I need, that I'm not gonna be in want. But just like, Jesus, I'm your sheep. I follow your voice. Lord, thank you for leading me. Thank you for speaking to me in my heart. I thank you that your sheep know your voice. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Lord, I thank you that I walk in the pastures, um, in your green pastures. I thank you that you make my soul a quiet place. And I thank you that you pour out within me the waters of your spirit. I thank you that the spirit moves everywhere I go, that you lead me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So Jesus, you make all things new within me, all my thoughts, will, emotions. You guide me, you restore me, you bring me to the place that I can walk in righteousness and you guide me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake so that I would become made after the pattern of your heart, after the pattern of your name, after the revelation of your character that everybody around me would know you just by the way I live. For your name's sake, you lead me in the paths of righteousness so that your name would be exalted in my life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, I thank you for your correction. Lord, I thank you for your law. It's such a comfort to me that now I know. I didn't know before. And you lead me in the way that I should go for your name's sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, I thank you that every devil and principality on this planet could come against me and you would prepare a table for me. That doesn't mean that we exalt ourselves. It doesn't mean that we speak outside of turn. Jesus, we thank you for your authority and I thank you for the seat that you've given me at my table, or at your table. Lord, you've anointed my head with oil. You've given me authority and dominion that even the, the anointing, the Messiah, that you've made me a little Christ. You've made me a Christian. You've placed your name upon me, Father, and you have anointed me to do good work, to proclaim good news to the captives, to proclaim liberty, to, to restore the blind, to cast out devils, Lord, to heal the sick, Jesus, to make disciples of all nations. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows with every good thing. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that your abundance flows through my life, that every good thing is evident. Lord, that you fill me with the riches of heaven and wisdom and knowledge, and that you give me the money and the finances that I need to advance your kingdom and to give me vision to build in the earth that which you're building. Lord, certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. Lord, that means that your goodness and faithfulness will follow me. But Lord, I thank you that my faithfulness to you will follow me as well, that I will set my heart towards you and that you guide me and that you're the shepherd and that I'm the sheep. And I thank you for the covenant that we share. 
And my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, that we never have to be separated, that nothing can separate us. And Father, that you're my shepherd, you guide me, and I'm your sheep. In Jesus' name. And that's all I have.